Welcome to the first Red Voices podcast of 2020. Given the last 10 years of slow decline, middling results and uh, substandard performances from United, it seems only fitting that we start off this new year with, yeah you guessed it, a big old loss. Ewan and Paul on hand to chronicle the highs and lows of an occasionally fun but predominantly frustrating festive period. Paul, how was your Christmas? Uh, yeah, really good thanks, very chilled, um, didn't do a lot really, just saw family and watched United and tore my hair out. <laughs> Oh, you poor person. <laughs> How was yours? Um, it's pretty good. It was over very quickly, I find. Even more so as an adult, it seems to just blitz straight by. I mean, it was a an interesting period. The Watford game was probably the more uh, frustrated I've been with United over the last several years, which is really insane something. And then I had the joy of being at my parents' uh, family on Boxing Day, and her dad is a Newcastle fan, so that gave me a little bit of pleasure. All, you know, slowly sucked away by the time we got round to tonight, mm. so... I mean, you know, there's still some nice bits of nostalgia which we can wallow in later on when we talk about, you know, a couple of bits and bobs from the last decade, which should be fun. But I guess, you know, we'll we'll blitz through these uh, festive fixtures as much as possible, starting off with that wonderful performance at Vicarage Road about, what, 10 days ago or so? That wasn't great, was it? No, it was awful. Um, As bad, if not worse, as as anything we've seen this season, certainly. Um, No energy, no no plan no spark no nothing you know I can't think of a single player who played particularly well and it, and coming on off the back of a few good results all the more frustrating and I don't know what you put it down to and we'll get on to tonight's game obviously later on but we just can't seem to put a run together at all and I mean I've been saying it all season we've got a very thin squad and you wonder whether it's tiredness if it's because of the the youthfulness of the squad and you know young players are generally inconsistent but it's not just the results, it's the manner of them, and that one against Watford, that performance was just abysmal. I mean, it really was. Mm, it didn't help, as it so frequently tends to, that uh, the one decent chance that we had fell to a player who was bang out of form. You know, Lingard scooping that chance over the bar when clean through, being played through very well by Martial, I think it was. You know, it was the best chance of the game, and that came at nil-nil. I think if we score that, we go on and win. Yeah, maybe. That's typically the way things... That's, yeah, and that's typically the way things seem to go for United. For the most part, if we get the first goal, then we tend to go on and just see things out, maybe grab a couple on the break. But it... <sighs> we weren't really creating much against a very limited Watford side who obviously had had that new manager bounce with Nigel Pearson coming in and looked a lot more solid and looked like they had much more of an identity as that's you know proven over the last uh, three games or so. They've had a very good festive period. But they didn't have to be that good to beat us, which is the worrying thing. You know, De Gea's error, bless him, for the Saar goal. Completely miss it shot and he's just... Com- I don't know what's happened, whether he's just misjudged the flight of the ball. I mean, Dave's howler reel is not massively long but that would certainly be right at the top in terms of terrible, terrible errors. And uh, made even better after Wambasaka actually got a tackle wrong for the first time this season and conceded a penalty, which Troy Deeney converted. And after that, you're just thinking, well, that's it, yeah, surely. We, we never looked like we were going to get back into the game at all, did we? Um, I mean, I thought Pogba mm. when he came on, oh, I've already mentioned him, um, Pogba when he came on, did okay. I mean, you know, he looked. He, to be fair, he looked a cut above really. Um, the rest of the team, we created a few more bits and pieces in the second half, but there's just no. It was it was like back in earlier on the season. There was no real cutting edge. It just never felt like you're going to score. De Gea, you, you're right. You know, it's not a hugely long reel of of those sort of rickets that keepers sometimes make. But the trouble is, so many of them have come 
in the last couple of seasons. I don't know if it's because of that or if he's making these these mistakes because he's not sure of his defence or if the defence is starting to make mistakes because they're not sure of De Gea or if it's a bit of both. But defensively, we just look... We just have these howlers, uh, howlers of games, don't we, every now and then, where we just look all, all at sea and... We certainly had that against Watford, I felt. Mm, yeah, I mean, again, you know, this is a common thing. I'm going to try not to bounce forward too much in the timeline to avoid confusing people, but this was very similar to tonight, wasn't it? A team that had been coming into the fixture in poor form and we made them look much better than they actually are, which is, again, a really frustrating thing. You know, Watford had scored, what was it, four goals at home all season, nothing in the first half, and then get two goals in four minutes against us. And we just... There's something about the way that United play in these when they perform like this that gives the opposition so much encouragement that it basically makes anything we try and do utterly redundant because we seemingly don't believe in ourselves enough and we don't we're not able to offer a coherent enough performance or anything coherent in terms of our attacking play in order to break them down. And I don't think Watford or Arsenal really had too much to worry about this evening, which is the concerning thing, you know. And, Going into the game against Newcastle on Boxing Day, you know, there was a good reaction at least to falling down to that uh, Matt Longstaff goal, which was, you know, shockingly enough done on the break because Newcastle was sitting deep and trying to hit us. It wasn't a terrible start, but as soon as Newcastle actually got a couple of sights at goal, we looked flaky and you could see that first goal coming. I guess the bonus of that is that was the first time we've fallen behind this season, I think, and actually either not lost or drawn. 1-4-1, which was at the time very nice. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it's, like you say, when that, when that goal went in, the Newcastle goal, immediately you're just thinking, you know, here we go again. And to be fair, I mean, Newcastle sort of helped us out a bit with a couple of defensive um, mishaps of their own. But, you know, we capitalised. Um, and by, in, by the end, I mean, it was we were just in cruise control. I thought Pereira had a pretty mm-hmm. decent game. Obviously set up the first uh, goal with a, lo- a, really, a de- really decent bit of pressing and then a lovely uh, pass to Martial. But... I was impressed with Pereira in that match. He, he, not only his distribution, but but also, like I say, his pressing. He was he was. And it was as if he'd been told to do that. You know, really, really push forward. He had great, showed great energy and enthusiasm. But again, he's another one of these players where he'll he'll, he'll have a decent game, and you'll think, oh, maybe he's turned a corner, and then the next time you see him, he's bloody awful again. And it's just, you know, and you can say that about the whole team, really. Mm. It's um, it's a really United are just so confusing, and they were confusing in that game because you know, the, the, you know, we looked we looked just shell shocked after the goal, and then for a few minutes, and then and then within I don't know, fifteen twenty minutes, we're in cruise control again. So where the hell do we stand? I mean, what you know, you just never know which United's going to turn up, do you? No, absolutely not. And I'm going off on a slight tangent before we start talking about the Newcastle goals. I think one of the big problems that United have currently with the way the squad is set up is that there are a certain section of first team players who could be designated as passengers, you know, teams. And you can get away with maybe one or two performances like that in a United side that is still struggling in transition and still not quite sure of its identity beyond being very useful on the counter-attack. The problem is is that when you've got three or four of the players like that, so say Matic, Shaw, Lingard this evening, um, you know, Maguire and Lindelof weren't looking particularly confident either. I mean, I'm not suggesting they're passengers, but I think once you've got too many players like that coming into the side who maybe don't offer us anywhere near enough in order to help us actually offer a coherent performance, then it drags everyone else's performance. Yeah, it does. Down. It, it spreads, and, doesn't it? That kind of 
lack of confidence in in your teammates. Yeah, the uncertainty is just toxic. Yeah, absolutely. It spreads like wildfire through the through the through the whole team. Mm. And you can you, you know again without jumping ahead too much, we saw it again tonight with, with Luke Shaw starting badly, and and then obviously the, the opposition can target the player who or players who you know they see a weakness in and. Yeah, just that United are so, we've said again all season, they're so brittle or can be so brittle that, mm. you know, one one or two mistakes from even just one player can just send shockwaves through the whole team. Mm-hmm. Before you know it, you, you you know, you like 2 0 down or whatever. 2 0 down. down at the Emirates <laughs> to a rubbish side. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, I mean, let's just focus on the good bits of Newcastle and then on to Burnley because those are the nice parts of the festive period. I mean, the nice goal by Martial obviously helped by Dubravka sort of not being able to get the shot in from that far post. Uh, not the best uh, goalkeeping measurement there, but there we go. Uh, great work by Mason Greenwood for the second. Absolutely smashed that in after picking up the loose ball. That was excellent, wasn't it? Probably my favourite of his goals so far. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing with Greenwood is, and I might have said it on the last pod, and if I'm repeating myself, I apologise, but I to say, with that goal against Newcastle, and I think the other one, I can't remember who it was against now, um, I think it was Everton, he got the ball, and as soon as he got the ball, you just think, this is going in. Because he's so unafraid, and he know, he's so confident in himself and in his ability to score, even from, from distance, with, with either foot, you just think, this is going in. Or at least it's going to hit the target, you know? And... and mm. Just wonderful to see a player emerging like him, and and he, well, you just you just hope that he doesn't get dragged down by, by <laughs> you know, and, and fall down to our level. Yeah, and he, I think because you know I was a bit surprised he didn't start this evening because he is in such good form and he does look so fearless. But I don't know if it's maybe maybe it is good management from Solskjaer because you know you, you don't want to, him to get dragged down. And all the pressure and and the weight on his shoulders and stuff. So, but yeah, what a fantastic goal that was! It really was just absolutely stunning. Thunder twatted that into yeah. well into the goal via the crossbar. It was beautiful. Do you yeah. have no chance? Always look better, don't they, when they come off the bar? But then again, I don't quite like it because I'm not sure whether it's gone in. So I just want to make sure I see the net bulge. There's yeah. something much more pure about it, seeing it hit the top corner of the net. But there we go. That's <laughs> just personal preference. Anyway, the third goal, lovely to see Wan-Bissaka with an excellent cross there, yeah. standing it up for uh, Rashford doing his best Ronaldo impression, just yeah. hanging in the air for what seemed like an eternity and just prodding it home for 3-1. And United completely turned it around in the space of, what, 20 minutes or so? Yeah. That was great. Thoroughly enjoyed that. And then an absolute howler defensively for Martial's second goal. And by that point, McTominay had come off with what looks like what has now been spoken about as a pretty serious knee injury that'll keep him out for March. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little while. But, you know, the game was done at 4-1 and United could afford to have a pretty pedestrian pace about the rest of the second half, which is good. Yeah. You know, fair enough. They have a lot of football to play over this period and we've still got six games left to play in January before the month is done. It is ridiculous, So I don't blame them it? taking... Oh, yeah. I don't blame us taking our foot off the pedal at 4-1, to be fair. You know, getting five goals would have been fun for the first time since Cardiff, uh, Solskjaer's first game uh, back at December of 2018. But fair enough. And then we went off to Turf Moor for a rather combative uh, evening against Burnley. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily a groundbreaking to suggest that Sean Dyke's side are somewhat combative, but the way in which Burnley really targeted our fast attacking players and basically gave them a thorough kicking, it was pretty unedifying, wasn't it? It was unedifying, and, it, and like you say, it was no surprise, you expect it. Uh, and actually, I thought we dealt with it really well. Um in a way, I mean, obviously the the, the, win, the wins against the likes of Spurs and uh, Chelsea earlier in the season, City, you know, the, while they're fantastic, this 
for me, the, the Burnley game, I, I really felt, and here we go again, I, I really felt that maybe this is where we turn a bit of a corner because we're away from home. We've, we, we know how much we struggled away from home for so long now. Like you say, we were getting kicked up in the air from pretty much the word go. Um, and we dealt with it really well. We kept our heads. We were professional. We probably should have been out of sight, really, long before uh, Rashford got the second goal. I thought it was a really decent performance. Obviously, clean sheet as well. Good defensively. So I was really pleased with that and, and felt almost as as pleased with that that performance and that result as I was with any other this season, really, because it felt like we hadn't done this for so long. And it's not an easy place to go, you know. We've got a decent record there, but it's still not an easy place to go. So, yeah, I, I was really, I thought it was a fantastic performance overall, really professional and really, really uh, needed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A, a game like that can really go either way for this United side. If we get the first goal, you know, we've, we've spoken about this before, should we strike first, we've got a very good chance of winning the game. If we fall behind, what are United's powers of recovery going to be like? You know, we saw tonight that they can be very, very lax, if at all. So seeing us get the uh, the lead, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily we were battering down on the door, but we had a couple of really good openings. You know, it was Martial from close range after a really great cross from, you know, Maybe man of the match, Brandon Williams, who was absolutely superb in that left-hand side. I said on the Twitter account, not only a few days ago, that I understood Solskjaer's decision to slowly bed Brandon Williams in and not chuck him in every game. Because there wasn't necessarily a huge urgent need to phase out Luke Shaw or anyone else playing at left-back. After a game like tonight, I'm starting to revisit those opinions yeah, and maybe I was <laughs> acting too hastily. Because you just look at the difference between what Luke Shaw offers us going forward, which is essentially nothing because he can't really cross. He's got very little pace and his ability to find a really useful incisive pass is just non-existent. You look at Brandon Williams, he's got pace, he's great, much better at tackling and he can deliver a really goddamn good cross. And he's two-footed as well. I mean, he'll probably he'll get sent off at least seven times in his United career, but still. Yeah, I'm sure he will. But I mean, yeah. part of that is, is also going to be just the exuberance of youth, you know, the naivety. Um, I mean, you know... The, the fact the he thinks of, he's really hot. Yeah, and he, he probably is, you know. Good on him. <laughs> I like to see players like that in the team. Raphael was a little bit like that, you know. When he was, when he was playing for United at, at a really young age, you expect that from young players, but you're absolutely right. And, and not only is Luke Shaw not really offering anything going forwards, but he's... He's constantly targeted by opposition managers because he finds himself out of position so much, because I don't think he's particularly fit, and because I don't think he's a very good defender. No, I would disagree. I was excited when when we when we signed him. You know, he looked like you know a decent young player, and obviously the injury was was catastrophic for him. But you know, there's no room for sentiment. He's just not good enough. I don't think he played well against City, but other than that, I can't remember the last decent game he had. Really? No, I mean this is his sixth season at United, and realistically, he can't have many more chances before no. someone at the club, whether that's a transfer that we bring in or, as we've seen with Brandon Williams, basically just makes him completely redundant. It's happening, yeah. you know, and I, it's I'm sad. And you know, it was pointed out this evening that. You know, Shaw's never fully recovered seemingly from that injury sustained no. against PSV Eindhoven and Van Gaal's second season. And I've got a lot of time for that because at that second start of the season, he was great with Depay. He was linking up so well and Depay certainly was hit by that loss. And Shaw's just never been the same player since then. And I no, get it, you know, it's difficult to t- take that mental leap. And obviously, 
his physicality has changed and he's certainly put on quite a bit of weight since that period as well. So obviously there's a lot that's happened in that period since 2015 when he got that injury. But at the same time, it's just not good enough. You you need to offer far more in the modern game when you're a left or a right back and he just doesn't do it. Anyway, uh, goals from Burnley. Uh, good work by Pereira, the lad you were talking about long ago, to press and actually set up a really great first-time ball. Lovely ball for Martial. Took that extra touch and just very gently glided it past Pope. Gorgeous first goal, well rewarded. And I guess we spent the majority of that second half playing on the counter and being utterly rubbish at it, if I recall correctly. Yeah. It was like Burnley last year. We did this exact same thing where it took us forever to get that goal in the second yeah. half. Yeah. But then, I mean, having said that, you know, Burnley didn't. I mean, you know, they obviously came. We knew they were going to throw the kitchen sink at it in the second half. But other than that one really good save from De Gea, they didn't really test us that much. Uh, and that was a fantastic save, by the way. You know, a really crucial mm. part time of the game as well. Because if that goes in. Suddenly, yeah, Burnley, the tails are up. United, with the, with the weak mentality that we can sometimes show, particularly away from home, suddenly, you know, you, you, Burnley become the massive favourites in that game. So that was a, a fantastic save. So, yeah, but going forward, you, you're right. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we've said this so often this season, though, you know, with the players we've got going forward, we should be we should be able to break teams down a hell of a lot easier, test them a lot more with the pace we've got and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, like I said before, overall, I thought it was a really decent performance. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of game that United haven't typically found easy, let alone won. And I think, again, I've said this several times already, so uh, excuse me for repeating myself, but Martial getting that first goal was absolutely crucial. It allowed us the ability to actually sit back and hit on the break, which is what we're actually quite good at. Obviously, we weren't very good at the second half, and it took us until stoppage time to get the second goal. And as you said there, whilst Burnley didn't necessarily threaten too much, it doesn't necessarily take a team threatening too much to break us down and get a goal. And at 1-0, that's such a precarious position for this United side. So to have gotten through that game with three points on a tricky evening, I think we did really well that evening. And then, so here we go. I mean, we, we spent 20 minutes or so circling around it. United versus Arsenal. Mm. Uh, winless under Arteta. The manager coming in after Unai Emery was sacked. Uh, what was it? Four losses on the bounce at the Emirates. Fell apart against Chelsea several days ago and conceded two late goals. Won an absolute howler by their goalkeeper. So, you know, United come in the back of two wins. The script pretty much wrote itself, didn't it? It's just classically United, though, isn't it, this season? We go into a game like this, the the more informed team against a team that's been really struggling, and we just completely disintegrate. I mean, well, we didn't even turn up. Although, the first five minutes, we looked okay. And then that was pretty much we it. We did. Yeah, we yeah. did. You know, it wasn't just my imagination. I mean, it seems like a long time ago now, but I, th- I thought we started okay, and I thought, yeah, this is this is pretty decent. But then, once they got that first goal, there was nothing. We offered nothing until the second half, and even then, it wasn't a lot. No, Utterly no. abysmal performance. So so bad. Like what, as bad as a, a, anything we've seen this season. It just. I'm actually struggling to find the words to describe how poor it was. And these, I said, I sent a text to my dad at half time, just saying these players would be ashamed of themselves. It was pathetic, and against a very poor Arsenal team, who yeah, they just looked hungry, they wanted it more. You know, it's all that the, the usual stuff, and they looked better coached. They looked they had a plan. 
I have no disagreement on any of that. I mean, the encouraging thing was, and I was very close to actually tweeting this, uh, within that first eight minutes before Pepe got the goal, United were actually getting a couple of breaks here and there yeah. and were pressing well. You know, the space was there. You could see Rashford and James and Martial getting those opportunities to break, which is where we are so dangerous. We looked lively, we looked fast. I mean, like we could do some damage. Arsenal's first attack was the goal. And it was an unfortunate deflection of Lindelof, but that was the story of Lindelof's game. Both of the goals are as a result of the ball coming off him and it falling to an Arsenal player because we didn't have anyone marked. Defensively, we were woeful. Absolutely woeful. Yeah, and as soon as that first goal goes in, United just retreated into their shell. They looked like they didn't know what to do. They didn't look like they were able to break down a very flaky Arsenal defence. You know, I mean, they didn't look terrible tonight, don't get me wrong. But again, the frustrating thing is very similar to Watford. And I'm sorry to keep repeating these narratives, but until United learn, this is going to be what is going on on this podcast. It was just all the same. You know, it's a team sat deep. It's a team knowing that they can get opportunities on the break against us and encouraging United to try and break them down. And we can't do it. You know, I mean, this is a discussion that we've had so often, so frequently. And until Solskjaer fixes it, and until maybe the coaching improves or we bring in a better number eight or a better number 10, you know, maybe even a better left back or give Brandon Williams a proper on the side, it's not really going to improve. And it wasn't a surprise to me that after we went 2-0 down, we had nothing to offer in the second half. No, and, and, and you know, even before the match, you look at the subs bench and thinking, OK, we've got Greenwood, we've got Pereira, but... The only team, the only player on that bench, on United's bench, really, who's going to potentially, really, like, genuinely scare opponents is Greenwood. Bill Jones. Yeah, you know what I mean? And he's, Greenwood's 18. Just, the the squad is incredibly thin, but then it clearly wasn't working. After 20 minutes, I would have made changes after 20 minutes. It was, because, you know, I hate to get on his back, but Lingard was, was abysmal. He just couldn't get in the game. There was no link-up play between defence and attack. The defence looked unbelievably shaky. The distribution from Maguire, not just Maguire, but he was, for me, was culpable more than anyone else. Just giving the ball away, sloppy, so bad. So, and, and you know, Matic, well, how often do we have to say it about Matic? You know, he's just, he, he's too old, he's too slow in, in both his body and his mind. And, you know, Fred, I think, Fred is he, a busy player. He works his socks off. But he's not a creative player. He doesn't spot the runs. No, I don't no. know. It's just so bad. It wasn't great, was it? And the second goal in particular, I watched the replay of that. I think I counted seven, at least seven United players in the box around the six-yard area for that corner. Yes, De Gea did well to get the initial save from, I think it was Lacazette's header. But no one is anywhere near quick enough no. to deal with the rebound there. And it was just They're so all just sloppy. flat-footed, aren't they? They just stood there like statues. Mm. You know, and, that, and that's... I don't know what is that. It's it's poor organisation. Is it is it lack of hunger, lack of sharpness? I don't know. It's just so poor. Well, I guess it's quite fitting for United, though, isn't it? You know, it's not proactive; it's reactive. Yeah, and and I think we have to we have to mention as well. I think Maguire's header before half time because what is that now? Is that like five maybe this season where? It's just it's harder not to score than it is to score, and it's every time it's just straight at the keeper. And I mean, you know, he's not doing it on purpose, obviously. But come on, mate, you know, you're one of the biggest guys on on our team. He's got him tossing into these good positions, and then just these pathetic headers. Mm. Well, I mean. There's a chance that we might have gotten ahead of ourselves of thinking that we've actually got someone who can head in set pieces. You know, he was all right yeah. at that one World Cup a couple of years ago, but 
I haven't seen much else since then. And he gets very few goals for any team that he's played with from set pieces regardless. So maybe it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. The thing is, it's not really coming from anyone else. No one else is getting any closer to heading in a set piece than Maguire. And Maguire, when he actually gets those opportunities, as you said, you know, did it tonight, did it against Newcastle, might have done it against... Burnley, at least one of the recent games, I'm sure of it. I'm sure he did it against Watford as well, didn't he? I mean, that sounds. Am I imagining that? Anyway, no, you could be. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to check. No, not this. I don't want. Who's going to go back back and watch the whole Watford game to figure (laughs) out? Oh, poor. Yeah, you were wrong about that. Maybe a Watford fan. Oh yeah. I mean, to be fair, if a Watford fan is listening to this podcast, cool. Congratulations. We hope you enjoy your season. They'll probably beat us again later on in the year. Anyway. Yeah. uh, Let's see. Uh, Second goal went in. Second half, Solskjaer waited 12 minutes to make the changes. Dan James coming off, couldn't really argue with that. Jesse then got, as you noted. I mean, yes, Jesse has had some decent performances at the Emirates over the course of the last couple of years. And I know that there's definitely a caveat that you have to make in terms of the mental state affecting his ability to provide his best work. I've never necessarily thought that Jesse Lingard is a short fire starter for United week in, week out. But he is definitely better than what we're seeing now. And you have to obviously bring into the equation what's going on in his personal life. How much of an effect that is actually having on his ability to produce his best football. Having said that, his football at the minute is so bad that that almost becomes redundant. If you're playing him in this position at the minute as a number 10, we're getting nothing. It's not helping the team and it's certainly not helping him at the minute. So, And I understand why Solskjaer picked him. You gave Pereira a bit of a rest. He played both the games against uh, Burnley and against Newcastle and played all right. I understand the need to not put him in that role, but it just basically completely cropped us going forward. It didn't help at all. And I think, you know, probably Solskjaer, you know, you, you imagine is probably almost trying to allow Lingard or give Lingard the chance to play his way into form. But it's not like there's even really a spark there. It's not, you know, there's not like the occasional flash in each game where you think oh you know that's the old Lingard or you know he's, he's coming back round he's just not there's nothing there he, he doesn't look right even his body language isn't right I mean there's not really much more to take from the game other than the fact that you know as you mentioned Matic earlier on yes he is too slow it's like watching a canal boat try and turn uh, do you know what I really appreciate about Matic and this is going to sound catty as hell so I do apologise but what I like about watching Nemanja Matic play football is that it helps me who has you know a half decent sort of grasp of tactics and movement it helps me to understand football a little bit better because it's so easy to pick apart his displays <laughs> like you yeah. see it every time in that first half he just wasn't able to get any forward passes going because the ball had to be so close to him he was always shielded by the players he had to keep turning back and facing the back four and passing the ball back and it killed almost every single attacking piece of momentum we had in that first half and fair play he did a little bit in that second half a couple of breaks here and there but it's just not anywhere near enough he didn't give the ball away a tremendous amount but it's what you do with the ball when you have it that is so vital at the minute and you're getting so little from Matic that it's no wonder that we didn't really create much of anything it's absolutely right it must be so frustrating for the attacking players particularly given how quick our attacking players are you know Rashford, Martial and James in particular because they I mean you know these players make runs they make runs every time United get the ball in, in midfield they're making the runs and you can almost just put the ball into a position you think they're going to be in and as long as there's enough pace on the ball and it's in pretty much the right spot, they're, they're likely to get to it. But there, there was none of that tonight. It must be so frustrating because Matic is too slow. Fred hasn't, you know, he's not the best passer with the ball. I mean, I'm not saying that, that Rashford, Martial and James play particularly well, but 
they had absolutely no service whatsoever. And then when the ball was going back to the defence, they were they were dawdling with it, and there was no movement in midfield for them to pass to either. No, I mean, I thought Fred actually played quite well. I think there were he several fine, occasions yeah, where he made several good touches and turns and actually helped United get the ball moving quicker. The problem was is that he had Nemanja Matic next to him to pass off to, and he's not able to find incisive passes to the front four. It just wasn't possible. That's just not his game. It's not his nope. game. He, he, he's he's a very busy, committed player. He's a you know good tackler. He he gets himself to good positions, but. Yeah, he's just not that kind of player. He hasn't got that. That's not sort of one of the strings of his bow. No, no. And now when we come to the rest of this month, without Pogba, it looks for three or four weeks. And without McTominay until March, you start to wonder what options Scholzer has at his disposal. You know, Garner is most likely got to have to play a game or two here because we've got six more games left this month, as mentioned. And in that time, we've got an FA Cup third round tie at Molyneux, which we're all understandably jittery about two games against City and a visit to Anfield. So, I mean, I don't see any way that we get through this month with a midfield of Fred and Matic. It's going to be an absolute train wreck if we stick to that duo for the next six games. It will not be fun. I mean, uh, there's not really much more to pick out of that Arsenal game, really, was there? I mean, it didn't have to be that great. I understand the nerves, because obviously, having you just lost to Chelsea four days previously, you're understandably, understandably jittery when your team sits back and absorbs pressure. But by that same token, we weren't necessarily battering the door down, were we? You know, we were we were prodding, but we weren't necessarily having much luck. You know, it wasn't never really felt like we were going to score, did it? I mean, we were putting them under a little bit of pressure, but it never, you know, you never really got that sense that we were going to score the, the, the few sort of snapped half chances we did have even then you know like I say we snapped at them so yeah I, I thought Arsenal looked pretty comfortable they did all their hard work in the first half and second half they didn't have to defend that well against such a poor United side I mean there's one more thing to discuss about this evening's work you know I'm, I'm going to take a bit of a different step on this one because I'm not obviously you know whenever we're discussing something I always want to hear what you think but on this one occasion I'm going to try and frame the discussion a little bit more because it involves Paul Pogba and the discourse around Paul Pogba is so exhausting that I will just say I don't want to talk about his commitment I don't necessarily want to having said that whilst I still really want Pogba to succeed at United I am looking forward to this summer when it's most likely he is off so we don't have to keep having these conversations. It's just so tiring and just draining to keep discussing this. It is draining and and it's futile really because you've got in, on, on one side, you know, the sort of Pogba FC crowd and then the other side who, who sort of despise him and people in the middle. And, and I, I sort of count myself probably in the middle. I think you're probably the same who, you know, if... I've always been of the opinion that if he doesn't want to play for United, then get rid of him. If he does, and he's committed to the club, I'd, I'd love to see him um, thrive in this team and, and help this team because I think he could do a really good job with this set of players. But you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the narrative around him, the, the arguments, the, the sort of infighting amongst the fans and stuff about him is just so tiresome the thing is as well you know you've got the Euros coming up in the summer I'm not sure anyone can really afford him so I don't think I, I don't think he, he's sort of itching for him or you know trying to get a move in January necessarily mm. so he ha- if he wants to play in the Euros you'd think he has to play it's just I mean like we said we don't know what the hell's going on behind the scenes it's all very confused and it is just a massive massive circus and it is a drain on, on the fans But and it must be a bit of a drain 
behind the scenes as well because Sorcio's constantly having to bat away questions about him. You've got obviously his agent coming out and, and sort of ruffling a few feathers over, over, over this week. And I thought, you're right, if he goes in the summer, which he probably will, I don't think anyone will be particularly, certainly on this part, will be particularly sorry to see him go. But I mean, I will I'll be sorry be... to see him go. I'll be disappointed. I mean, the, the juxtaposition I that I can offer. Say. Yeah, the juxtaposition I can offer is that for the half hour that he played against Watford, he was easily the best player in a red shirt and created a lot more than we'd done in those sort of situations over the last several months. You know, he's clearly a class above everything that we've got to offer. If he doesn't want to be playing at United and he's struggling to find the motivation to do so, then this is a redundant conversation. It's just pointless in being there. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's not really much more to pull out of this. You know, obviously we've got City next week and Wolves at the weekend, neither of which I'm really looking forward to. I would expect a performance at the game uh, against City in the first leg of the League Cup semi-final just because... Normally for the big occasions, we tend to turn up inexplicably. Uh, Wolves at Molyneux on Saturday is going to be a very uncomfortable experience. I'm almost positive of it. I mean, they've been playing really well. They were unlucky to leave Anfield without a point due to a a very, very minute offside decision, thanks to VAR. Um, But, you know, they played really, really well against City. Yes, they were playing against 10 men for the best part of 70 minutes after Edison got sent off, but they fully deserved to come back from 2-0 down and get that 3-2 lead. They worked so hard and they've got such a clear plan for playing the big sides. So, yeah, I can't say I'm looking forward to that. I mean, on a broader picture, Paul, at this stage now, where are you at? You know, Because I'm, I'm kind of of the persuasion that I've seen nothing over the last couple of months to suggest that United can be anywhere near consistent enough under Solskjaer to really get us to where we want to be and I know that there's an element of him sort of being primed to maybe not phys- properly primed but there's a sense that he's almost setting this team up for another manager to reap the rewards and reap the benefits in the next sort of uh, year to 18 months or so what's your take on it maybe so I don't know my take is it's been pretty consistent throughout the season I have seen signs of progress I like um, some of the things that Solskjaer is doing in terms of promoting youth I like the some of the signings he's made. I think he seems to have a, a decent long-term vision for the club. He's certainly lifted the mood post-Mourinho. That was not odd. Syphilis would have lifted the mood post-Mourinho. Well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but, and, and I also, I, and I think even Solskjaer himself warned that United would be inconsistent this season, that, that we'd probably have to take a bit of a step back to, to move forward. But these sorts of performances like today and Watford and Newcastle and West Ham... And the first half against Sheffield United, and we could go on. You know, they are worrying, and I don't know if it's tiredness, like I said, because of the thinness of the squad, inexperience, or what really. I don't, I'm personally willing to give Solskjaer, and I think he deserves another window, and I'm, by that I mean summer window, because I can't. I don't think we're going to sign anyone this season. I think he, like every every other manager that has been working at this club, he's working with his hands tied behind his back, really, because the club's so badly run. Um, because of the transfer strategy and all the rest of it, all the stuff we've talked about so many times before. And I completely get why people have lost patience with him, but I think for me, at least with Solskjaer, we know that he's got the club's best interest at heart. I don't think Mourinho did. I think he deserves till the end of the season. Obviously, depending on how results go between now and then, and he might have some real problems actually now with, with the injuries that, that, that United are picking up, going to this crucial stage of the season with the games coming thick and th- fast. It, you know, it, it, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I, I like what he's doing overall, but there are obviously concerns. 
Yeah, yeah, I couldn't really put it much better myself. So I won't. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, the the thing with Solskjaer, and I'm this is my last thought on this before we go on to looking at the decade as a whole, because that this some that'll be some fun stuff to talk about. Performances, as you mentioned, like today and the one against Watford in particular, with them both being so fresh, are the exact antithesis to the games against uh, City. You know that battling performance against Liverpool. You know the game against PSG or the on in March of this year, and there's only so many games like that you can actually dine out on if you're throwing performances like Watford and Arsenal into the mix every fortnight, and. I don't think Solskjaer at the moment with this current team is capable of eradicating those performances. And I don't think we're going to bring anyone in in January. And that then leaves you with the unpalatable position of the fact that we've got another five months left of this season. We're competing in three cup competitions, uh, two of which we could be out of by the end of this month. Uh, We're trying to battle for top four, but we haven't got anywhere near the consistency required to actually get there, let alone stay there. And you just start thinking, well, is it going to be Europa League or bust? And that's it, it's not a massive surprise that this season is going to boil down to that for me, if that's how things shake out. And that's how I think things actually will shake out over the next couple of weeks. Which but is kind of I what think, Mourinho did, isn't it, in his yeah. first season, second season? His first season, yeah. Regardless, I think it will point towards the limitations that Solskjaer currently has as a coach slash manager and the limitations placed on him by the club. It will not be a singular failure, and it won't. It will be a collective failure if Solskjaer is not able to get anything out of this season. You cannot put the entirety of the blame on him as a manager, just as you can't put the entirety of the blame on the board and the club itself for not doing better with the players they brought in and for the team itself. Anyway, that... Decade stuff, because, you know, we might as well turn into Liverpool, considering they're actually quite good now. We need to think about things that actually make us happy, because sure as hell, no, it wasn't tonight. Maybe right. we should just talk about, like, the, the, thing, the good stuff in the past every week. I mean, we could do. Just forget all about the current United. Until I mean, we're good again, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, how many years have you got of doing this? Because it could be a while. <laughs> how many years you got in you? Well, there was, there was a lot of success. Not, not so much this decade, but yeah, going going back further but yeah, yeah sorry still some success I mean let's think uh, start of the year we sort of start of the decade beg your pardon uh, there was that uh, League Cup final win against oh, was it Villa yeah it was uh, after knocking City out of the uh, semi-final that was great fun Premier League in 2011 and then again 2013 the FA Cup in 2016 followed by the Europa League and the Capital One Cup the following year uh, it's been a bit barren since then, so yeah, let, 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 there's been some bright spots. So I think we'll we'll start off with that now. So, do you want to give me your thoughts first, or shall we go for other people's and then you expand on them? I don't mind. Up to you. I'll leave it up to you. I mean, I was looking for something a bit more affirmative there, Paul. Okay, I'll tell you what. I will. I'll, I'll give you my. Well, you asked me yesterday to think of of my game of the decade, I think, and my goal of the decade, and my player, and player of, the decade. of the decade. You can have moment of the decade as well if, you, if you're... Moment of the decade stretch as well. That far. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, goal of the decade then, Paul. Goal of the decade. There was a bit of a toss-up between a couple of the Van Persie goals, but I, in the end, I, I went for Patrice Evra against Bayern Munich. Yes. In the 2013-14 season, and not only was it an absolute peach of a goal, absolutely, absolutely thwacked it into the court into the goal but it was that sort of 
sense of hope, which uh, albeit only lasted for about thirty seconds, but in <laughs> so the apt. in the the bleakness of that season, and it was so bleak. And I think sometimes you can forget how just how awful it was that moment, and and because it was him as well, because it was Patrice Evra, who just loved the club so much, away from home, and just for those those few seconds, you thought we could do this. We could do this. And of course we didn't do it. No. But what a goal. What a fantastic goal. So that's my goal. Game of the decade was, you just mentioned it a second ago actually, was the Carling Cup semi-final second leg at Old Trafford against City in 2010. Oh, were you there for that one? I was there for that one. And and Old Trafford was was literally a cauldron. It was just visceral, bestial atmosphere. Oh, wasn't it good? Oh, were you there? Yeah, I was behind the sorry in front of the city fans. They had the uh, East Stand Tier Two, and I was in Tier One, so we had a very good view of Craig Bellamy getting thwacked by a coin at the corner flag in the second half. It was unbelievable, though, wasn't it? The atmosphere. I mean, I, it was one of the. I've been going to Old Trafford for thirty years, and it was one of the best atmospheres I can remember. Everyone, man, woman, and child, just sort of overcome by the rule of the mob. And you, do you remember the the the, the Carlos Tevez song? He was that twat from Argentina. The way. The word twat was just spat out each time. Just this hatred from tens of thousands of people. I absolutely loved it. And there were so many different narratives in that game as well. The noisy neighbours, you know, this this sort of oil-soaked club trying to take our crown. Tevez, who deserted us. You know, this traitor. I think it just to a man, we just desperately didn't want him to succeed at the club, at City. Mm. And then obviously Rooney had flirted with them not that long before and he scored the winning goal. So yeah, for me, that was... I'll never forget it. I was there with my brother. It will live long in the memory. Finally, what was the other one? Moment of the decade. Player of the decade and moment of the decade. So let's go with player first. Player first. I'll keep this one pretty quick because it's so... For obvious reasons. And again, I did I did sort of think maybe Robin Van Persie, but in the end I went for David De Gea because I think his has been a more sustained... Um, period of brilliance, obviously not so much recently, but there was that three, four years, maybe even longer than that, where he was just unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. And really, his his form during that time deserves so much more than what he's than what he's achieved at the club. Um, and then moment of the decade was pretty recent. It was the uh, Rashford goal against PSG last season. Um, watched it in a pub with my dad and my son. My son's um, he was at ten at the time, so three generations of us there. And we this, this pub had this ridiculously low ceiling, and, and when the penalty went in, I we were all stood on our feet anyway to watch the penalty. And when it went in, I leapt up into the air, smacked my head on the ceiling, and then somehow managed to land with my legs astride the back of the chair and did the other end. So. <laughs> So my head and my balls, wow. basically. But, but I didn't have... Because of the elation. And then this sort of... We just got involved in this massive pub scrum where it was just limbs and tears and shrieks of joy. And then there's this searing pain. But it was just unbelievable. What what a game. And then the, and then the, the stuff afterwards with the Gary Neville interview with Solskjaer and Eric Fergie and Solskjaer all posing together and... And again, like that ever goal, just thinking, we can do this, we can go on and win this thing. And, and, <laughs> and of course, deep down, we knew we couldn't. We knew we couldn't, but it's yeah. just that beautiful hope that football sometimes gives you. 
And those well, moments... it's that hope that United were very, yeah. very good at giving us for uh, upwards of 20 years that we lost for so long, wasn't it? That was yeah. why that PSG game was such... It, it provoked such elation because it was a timely and much-needed reminder of what this club can be yeah. when its back is against the wall and what it can provide you. And it's moments like that that make it so engrossing. You know, we keep coming back for more. You know, it, it, it's impossible to stop watching, even when it's as bad as it was tonight. Doing the, doing this little, like, you know, having to think about the, the... When you asked me yesterday to think about the last decade and, and I was thinking, oh, God, you know, yeah, earlier on in the decade we had some success, we've had the Europa League and stuff. But actually, even even during the darkest times, there have been those. But even in that darkest of times, the moist season, there was the ever goal. You know, the, the, so that the, the yeah, that's the thing about United. That's the thing about football. You know, we, we there's always something, isn't there? Absolutely, we are very lucky, despite the fact that we've been, you know, fairly rubbish for the last six years. That we've still had some really really good moments mixed in with that. And yeah, let, let's get into some of those moments now. So I'll do mine later because I'm in charge and I can do that. Uh, <laughs> right. Our friend James, at that James boy. Uh, gold decided, agreed with you, ever versus Bayern. I mean, if any one singular minute or a minute and a half of Manchester United encapsulates the highs and lows of this decade, it is that. <laughs> ever twatting one into the top corner with that rising drive and you're just thinking, what the hell is he doing on the edge of the box to slam that past Manuel Neuer? And then we can see like two goals. Well. Yeah, and then we score, can see two goals in the space of five minutes because obviously that's what we do. It uh, was game of the decade. Yeah, game of the decade was a good, an interesting one, actually. I wasn't thinking of this one initially. Uh, the Arsenal 8-2, just for pure madness. It was, yeah, absolutely insane. I was there for that one as well. And it was, um, yeah, it was an unbelievable game. It was so bizarre. And the fact that it's Arsenal as well, you know. Something was just in the air that day. I don't know what it was. Paul and Ed on the No no Question About That pod were releasing, discussing this one as well as uh, one of their games of the decade. And they were right, you know, it was Anderson and Cleverly in midfield. Yeah. And we just, there was something in the air that day where they just thought, sod it, we're going to absolutely rip into them. Because you've seen games like that before when United have gotten three or four goals to the good. Maybe not against Arsenal, but they'll pull back a little bit. On that yeah. day, there was no quarter given. Uh, player of the decade from James was Michael Carrick. That's a pretty good shout, actually, because I think Carrick in particular, after you know having a pretty decent start to life alongside Paul Scholes, uh, for the first half of the decade, at least around 20 up to 2013 I think he was instrumental in United's success really wasn't he it's a huge part of it yeah Uh, and he he even had a bit of a swan song later on didn't he even even Mourinho said I wish wish," when he first came to the club he said I wish I had um, Carrick when he was you know uh, 24 or whatever not 34 however old he was at the time and yeah what a player he was spiky mullet haircut yeah but what a player Carrick was he was one of my favourite players of the last two decades he's just I think majestic so yeah good show um, Yep, and James says his favourite moment was Ollie becoming interim manager after the doom of Jose. It's a fair shout. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Uh, Tariq Amir, uh, goal was Berber's Berberesque overhead versus Liverpool, which was his hat trick goal after we conceded two. Berber's third, that hat trick goal at Old Trafford. Absolutely beautiful. But again, this is my point about goals that go off the crossbar. I was at the game that day and I wasn't sure it had gone in. (laughs) Yeah, but when they do. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. Pretty good. Maybe Uh, maybe it's more the sound than anything. It's just that. And then ah. swish. Amazing. Yeah. His game was uh, City 2 United 3, the RVP edition. Oh, uh, that was incredible. Yeah, that was superb. Uh, player was De Gea. And 
moment was he's attached a pick of uh, Ferguson getting a guard of honour at his last home game against Swansea so in 2014. So emotional. I bet it was. It's like one of those things we all, all, we probably all remember where we were when we heard the news that he was retiring. Ogden broke the news. Just like the news we've been dreading for so long and yeah, what, what a guy. Uh, Asish, uh, goal of the decade ever versus Bayern. Come on, lads. Uh, game <laughs> of the decade. Oh, interesting one here. The 4-3 win against Newcastle United at Boxing Day. You know, Hernandez got the last-minute winner after we'd come yes. back from a goal down twice, I think it was. Uh, superb. Uh, player of the decade, yeah. De Gea. Moment of the decade, Martial's debut goal. Wow. Oh, I mean, that, that was, was beautiful, a, wasn't it? Stormer, wasn't it? Against Liverpool. I mean, can you imagine... He's got a good script writer, I'll give him that. Unbelievable. And did he, didn't he put, he put um, what was his name, that horrible defender? Skirtle. Skirtle, he put him on his arse, didn't he? Just he completely did. put him on his arse, and he couldn't have happened to a nicer bloke. Oh, I agree with that. Alex Wormall, uh, the goal he's gone for is, uh, you remember Henrik Mkhitaryan, his goal against Sunderland? Uh, I mean, was offside, but counts. I reckon that's fair. Still, yeah. Yes. Uh, game was 8-2 versus Arsenal. Player yeah. was Dave. And moment uh, similar to James. He said when Fergie said goodbye. That was yeah. uh, a very poignant, powerful moment. Make no mistake considering where we are now. <clears throat> uh, Alec Hudson with the last set. Uh, his goal was Van Persie's second against Aston Villa 2013 to effectively seal the title. Game was an interesting one. He's gone for the Juan Mata-inspired victory at Anfield with that wonderful score, well, scissor kick, I would say. Yeah, that was beautiful. Player of the season, David De Gea, no surprise there. Uh, moment, Van Persie at the Etihad with that deflected free kick. That was glorious. That was glorious. just stunning, wasn't it? There was that photo, wasn't there, of um, Van Persie afterwards doing the rounds and the number 20 on his back obviously it's the 20th title and, and there's all this sort of blue haze in the background the scoreboard um, ah, so good what, yeah. a, what a season he had that, that season it was unbelievable it wasn't bad was it gosh I've really got to start thinking about this now I probably should have thought about it a little bit earlier on um, <laughs> player of the decade I think because everyone else has chosen Dave I'm going to take a shot out of left field I would say the player that has provided us with the biggest moments away from De Gea and De Gea has probably been our best player of the decade but I think the one that is going to remind me most of the best moments of the last 10 years I would probably go with Marcus Rashford and I realise that's a bit out of left field, but I think a look at what he actually represents, which is, you know, a young lad from Manchester living his dream and doing a damn good job at it for the most part. You know, came on against uh, Midgetland, got those two great goals, started his first Premier League game against Arsenal, gets a brace, a wonderful goal against West Ham in that FA Cup run that year. And yeah, everything about him I like, you know, and I love the fact that... Whilst there's obviously a lot to uh, take umbrage with with United under Solskjaer at the moment, Rashford is not one of those things. You know, no. he is uh, an excellent sign of what United can provide and how emotive this club can be when we do things right. And I think Rashford uh, epitomises that fantastically. Good choice. Thank you. Thank you. I, I thought so too. Uh, Goal of the decade. Now, no, actually, I'm going to go for the moment of the decade. An interesting one-off. I'm going to go for Lingard's goal in the FA Cup final. The reason behind that was, again, another really good rising drive. Quite similar to Everest when you think about it. Came out of absolutely nowhere and rose into the top corner. Keeper, absolutely no chance. I think it was just because it was so out of nothing. And that game against Aston Villa... Sorry, not Villa. Crystal Palace in the FA Cup final 2016. 
have you ever seen a game where United were their own worst enemy more than that one? You know, we <laughs> were pressurising for what, 75 minutes, gave away a bad goal, Mata got us back into it, and then Chris Smalling with a, you know, mindless red card and our backs are against the wall. And then out of nothing, a goal of that quality, that good and it that stunning. surprising. It, it was after that season, after that second Van Hal season, which was so yeah. difficult to watch and so draining and the, and to the experience. the dance as well. Yeah. Oh, God, the Pardew dance, indeed. Didn't enjoy that very much. Um, <laughs> right, so that's moment. And I think just obviously because the fact that we won an FA Cup after a terrible season, the fact we knew we weren't going to be in the Champions League, we knew that sort of dream had died and we were going to be rebuilding again because we all thought at that point Van Gaal wouldn't last the summer. I think it was just a really nice way to sort of round off what had been a very dejecting period. You know, that was our first trophy in three years because we're not counting community shields because we're not weird. No, absolutely. Uh, game i'm gonna stick with your choice actually um no actually no i'm gonna make another one uh i'm gonna say city two united three again a city game but this was the most recent one where we came back from two nil down pogba two goals smalling a third yeah partly because again i mean these are all very sort of um totemistic choices in the sense that every option i've gone for here says something about where united are and where also they can be so when you yeah. look at that 2-3 game the fact that we came from 2-0 down against you know arguably um the best manchester city side and one of the best sides of the modern era we They're brilliant yeah yeah they are i mean it's annoying but they are um the fact that we turned in that second half performance when no one expected us to 2-0 down we didn't have a hope in hell after that first half performance and suddenly we just turned it on everyone played their socks out everyone played their socks off everyone played their heart out the hair was fantastic alexis sanchez was actually quite good that game yeah. paul pogba turned up with two great goals and then chris smalling much maligned who missed uh, vincent company for a header again <laughs> in the first half turns around with that great touch in to hit the third goal and I think yeah there is a slight element of schadenfreude in the sense that obviously we stopped City with the title that day only to give it gift it to them a week later by losing to West Brom but -hmm. again what an example of what United can do when they actually put their mind to it what they're capable of when things just sync up in that right way in those odd sort of circumstances for goal I'm going to pick a nice moment Uh, Van Persie's free kick against City purely yeah. because I remember being sat in on the sofa in the flat that we just moved into with my, ooh, let's see, 11-month-old daughter asleep in my arms, trying desperately not to wake her up mm-hmm. as I'm watching this on my tablet and just silently screaming, yes! <laughs> yes! Beautiful. <laughs> Excuse me. Anyway, yeah, something on those lines. Just a pure moment of elation that came out of nowhere and at a time when United were capable of pulling excellent results and comebacks and examples of mental fortitude seemingly out of their arses on a weekly basis. So, yeah, I, I reckon that's a nice way to round it off. Good work. Uh, can I Thank just make honourable mention for the Gerard slip as well, of course? Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be United-related. I mean, the Gerard Red card's quite up there as well. Yeah, at, at yeah, the moment absolutely. of just completely sheer, fantastic comedy, getting onto yeah. the pitch, getting about, and then getting a red card <laughs> and stamping on Herrera's leg. Things you love to see, that. Yeah, beautiful. Right, I mean, that's about 20 minutes of wallowing. I say wallowing. I actually quite enjoyed that nostalgic trip. Yeah, I guess we've got to God. think about what's going to be happening in the next couple of weeks now. So, back down to earth with a bump. Right, score predictions for Wolves. Hit me. Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 to United. That's brave. I always... I can't I can't predict a United defeat. I can't do it. Bless you. 
I mean, I, can, <laughs> I reckon we're going to lose 3-1. I'll tempt fate. I mean, th- this works out fantastically for me. If we win, then that's wonderful news. And if we lose, yeah. I'm like, well, I predicted it. So there's no pain. Yeah. <laughs> there will be pain. It's going to be a really, really, really tough game. So It will yeah, be. We'll see yeah. which United turns up. Yes, we will. And I guess we'll talk about that next week. Paul, thank you very much for joining me as ever for this uh, festive wrap-up. Cheers, Ewan. Guys, and thank you very much for listening as well. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, or at least parts of it anyway. And don't forget, you can always talk to us on Twitter if you did or if you didn't. You can get Paul at PaulGunning1, you can get me at Ewan Lennart, and you can get the pod at Red Voices MUFC. Don't forget, you can also get the podcast on Stitcher, on Spotify, on the Apple Podcast app, and SoundCloud, should you so wish. And if you would like to leave us a nice review or give us a subscription, then that also goes a really long way to making me happy, which is important. Guys, have yourselves a fantastic week. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.